For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. A few months ago, I received an invite to a party. But not that kind of party. The shindig was a collaboration between the outdoor gear company Fish Pond, you know, packs and nets and stuff, and the conservation group American Rivers. And all this was taking place at Fish Pond's Denver headquarters. A band stood on the loading dock and belted out Americana. Throughout the night, Fish Pond sold some overstock t-shirts and a couple movies played. I have run these canyons. Or our Spanish speakers. Por seis millones de años. And I had gone to this party mainly to drink beer. But just in case, I had brought my recording equipment and eventually started shoving the microphone in people's faces, asking what brought them there. Because I'm an advocate for free-flowing rivers. Yeah. Personally, no. I'm just someone who cares about rivers and the ability to, for watersheds to function properly and for aquatic life to be protected. It's, um, Excellent. And other people fishing, I'm glad to help them too. And maybe hop on their boat if they have an extra yeah, spot. Yeah, sure. I, they can teach me how to fish. Excellent. <laughs> and this event, I came to find out, was called This Is Your River. And the river that is supposedly yours... My name... My name is, is Red. Red. The Grand River Red. The American Nile. The Canyon Maker. I am the Colorado River. But why the Colorado? Yeah, I think the Colorado River is an obvious one. It's America's most iconic river, right? The Grand River. This is Russell Miller, the director of marketing for Fish Pond. It's something that truly is near and dear to our hearts. We spend a lot of time as an organization up on the Colorado River, right? If you use a resource, you want to give back to a resource. And so, but then when you start looking at how many people touch the Colorado, and so um, if there was kind of a, a river to plant a flag in and say, this is really important, I think the Colorado is an obvious one to do that. I think we all can agree that the Colorado is an awesome river. It made the Grand Canyon, for God's sake. It also holds some incredible trout fisheries from the headwaters in the Rocky Mountains all the way down to Lee's Ferry below Lake Powell. But the Colorado River and its fish are in trouble. The Colorado River is so important. So the stakes are really high. The Colorado River does not look healthy. So much trouble that American Rivers is calling it the most endangered river in the U.S the polar bear of waterways. So this is the focus of today's episode, the mighty threatened Colorado River and its fish. We'll look into what happened to put the Colorado on the top of that list and what we can do to help strip it of that unfortunate title. But this story extends beyond the Colorado to each and every river in the US and the globe. We're going to use the Colorado as a case study for how we can potentially fix the world's rivers before they too become an endangered species. Before we can really get into the nitty gritty of what's threatening the Colorado River, it's important to understand where the river starts and ends and everything it does in between. The Colorado River begins as a trickle in the Rocky Mountains west of Denver. 
but it also starts in the mountains of Wyoming, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Arizona. Because water from all these states drains into the Colorado River system. To find out more about this river, I headed down to the American Rivers office in downtown Denver. My name is Matt Rice, and I am the Colorado River Basin Director for American Rivers. My name is Faye Augustin, and I'm the Associate Director of Colorado River Basin Programs. They share this office with Trout Unlimited, so some nice mounted fish were on the walls. The Colorado River, if it were a country, it would have the fifth biggest economic output in the world. It drives a $1.4 trillion economy, $26 billion recreation economy, irrigates 15% of our nation's ag land. So the Colorado River is super important for our economy. But it also provides water to 40 million people. Meaning that over 10% of the U.S. population needs the Colorado River to survive. To get a better picture of what's happening to the river, we're going to look specifically at the upper Colorado. Because the problems the river faces upstream can be extended throughout the entire river system. Colorado is a really interesting place to work on, on water issues. 80% of the population lives on the Front Range in places like Denver and Fort Collins and Boulder and Colorado Springs. But 80% of the water, the snow and the rain, falls on the West Slope. And so for the last 100 plus years, um, how we've addressed this issue is that we pump and pipe and divert water from the West Slope. And we deliver it to the Front Range. Um, that's had a, had a clear impact on headwater rivers. So in the case of the Upper Colorado River, approximately you know, 70 to 80% of the native flows of the Colorado River are delivered to the Front Range on an annual basis. When you have that much water taken out of the system, that fundamentally changes the river, and that has led to you know, pretty significant degradation of that system. And this is true as you go downstream as well, where water from the Colorado is transported to arid population centers like Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. So much water is taken from the Colorado that it no longer reaches the Pacific Ocean. And this has had an effect on fish populations as well. You know, the big thing that's, that really hurts the fishery here is when we have low water years. This is John Packer, the owner of Fly Fishing Outfitters in Avon, Colorado. So the big thing I see is helping manage the, uh, the flows on the, the Colorado River to maintain a stable, healthy ecosystem for, you know, the bugs and the fish. Back in the early 2000s when we had the droughts and everything and, you know, where we saw real low water and uh, warm temperatures, lots of moss, you know, and then the first indicator of fish that goes down is the whitefish. And once you start seeing dead whitefish, then it's just a matter of time before you start seeing dead trout. But what, or more accurately, who, is at the root of all of this? You got a long, hot summer. You got nothing to do. I tell you, slip and slide is a way to get through. You get wet on slip and slide. You get cool. It's a long, wet ride. And you're hot on a slip and slide. Slip, slip and slide. Unfortunately, it's us. As a Denver resident myself, it's me. How can a citizen help forward your progress? We can do this, we can use less water without sacrificing any of our quality of life. We're dealing with kind of like a status quo that's been, that's been embedded for 150 years and change, change is slow. Change is especially slow when it comes to water. But we're at a place now where, where conservation organizations like American Rivers and several other great organizations are actually working hand in hand with water utilities, working hand in hand with ranchers, working hand in hand with energy companies to push in the same, same direction, which is figuring out ways that we can, uh, we can do more with less water and protect our economy and our environment and as we do it.
You said um, using less water without sacrificing our quality of life. At some point, we're going to have to start sacrificing our quality of life. How is that issue going to be addressed? When is it going to come to, hey, you can't water your lawn anymore? Well, we should price water more accurately. You know, absent of that, many people on the front range that, that water their lawns, they probably use a lot, lot more water than they need to. You know, rather than watering your lawn four days a week, you can water your lawn two days a week. That makes a difference. That, I'd argue, does not, you know, impact your quality of life. As with so many things, it's better to address the situation before it becomes a problem and we have to sacrifice our quality of life. And while American Rivers and local utility companies have been making progress in the past decade, a lot of their success is threatened by the proposed 2018 budget, the implementation of which could cut funding to critical federal programs that compensate water users for not using water. To get more into this topic and how we as consumers and anglers can help save the Colorado, I sat down with another key player. Okay, just testing one, two, three. Just go back and forth. Does that sound pretty good? This is John Land Lecoq the founder and CEO of Fish Pond, which sponsored the event at the beginning of this story. So Miss Playa here, who's making all sorts of noise in the background here, is my little rescue dog from Mexico, which I found on the beach in January. And uh, she's now the official Fish Pond mascot. So she, she is the true river dog, and she is now in our, our true inspiration here. So if there's a little bit of noise in the background, she's making sure that she's well known as well. <laughs> Back to the story. What is your relationship with the Colorado River? I basically almost live on the Colorado River. I was born in Boulder. As a kid, I've always enjoyed the Colorado River, fishing, recreating, floating. Uh, but 25 years ago, I moved just south of Kremlin. It's basically in my own backyard, uh, and it's kind of my own personal water. It's my home waters, so to speak. So why did Fishbond sponsor this event, and why the Colorado River? So I think, you know, again, the Colorado River is no different than really any river system in America. They all lead to habitat. Uh, our focus at Fish Pond as a fishing products company, obviously it's, it's our economic livelihood, you know, clean water, cold water, uh, warm water, whatever it is, but rivers are the lifeblood of our industry. But most importantly is it's the lifeblood of, of species. Okay. And if we have a healthy ecosystem, we probably have a healthy recreational system, and it's probably healthy for species at the same time. So if the Colorado River is a great platform for us to work off of. It's in our own backyard, and I think everybody across America should really think about their conservation, their advocacy, and how they look at environmental issues as far as what's, what's around them. How can they personally impact something that they feel like that, that impacts them personally? The troubles facing the Colorado are not unique to that river system. Let's look at the Deschutes River, where low water levels and rising water temperatures kill trout in the upper section and their salmon cousins farther downstream. How about the whitefish kill on Montana's Yellowstone River? And we can't forget the algae blooms in the Everglades that turn boatloads of fish belly up. Poor water management that degrades ecosystems is a national and global problem, and we all have a part to play. You know, there's a millennial generation like yourself that, that does really watch brands that do give a damn. So is it good for business? Yes. Do we do it for business? No. The reason that we do it is, is, is this authentic? It's just, it just feels right. There's just a better feeling you get by doing something that just feels right. Fish Pond is one of the few fly fishing companies that is a recognized B corporation, 
which basically means that they're dedicated to sustainable business practices and use their position to promote an ecologically conscious agenda. We don't make any fabric now unless it is recycled. Much of it recycled fishing net. It's a lot more expensive for us to do that, but it is the right thing to do. And hopefully by doing that, it reaches the consumer in a way that they know that we're trying to do something a little bit different, that's a responsible thing to do, and they can actually follow that in other parts of their own lives in their own way. It's become who we are. It's become how people identify us because it's just now we feel stronger with our voice being environmental steward. Now, I want to make it clear that this is not an advertisement for Fish Pond. I just personally agree with the way that they conduct their business. And it's important to recognize that as consumers, we have a tremendous amount of power to influence policy just by choosing to buy products from ecologically minded corporations. Whether it's Fish Pond or Patagonia, which is another B corporation, or buying a Sims Save Our Streams t-shirt. By choosing where we spend our dollars, we become the company's board of directors and can steer them towards conservation. And as John said, if all of these industries band together, their voices are even louder. Because money talks. How have you seen the river change over the last 25 years that you've lived on it? It all depends on our snowpack. You know, I mean, there's going to be years where we've seen the Colorado River drastically low. I've seen years where the Colorado River does not look healthy. That is drastically low. We have lots of moss in the water. We have a good water year, but next year may not be the same. After all this talk about the Colorado, I figured I should probably check out the river from a bit closer than the rim of the Grand Canyon. So last weekend, I called up my friend Ben, who you heard from episode number 16 of the Cast, and we drove out to the Colorado. Before we can go fishing, a few words from our sponsors. This episode of the Cast is sponsored by our good friends at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. Yellow Dog, this is Jake. The other week, I called up Jake Wells, Jake directs programs within the U.S. for Yellow Dog, and he told me about a few of the trips that he went on this year. Uh, boy, where to start? <laughs> February, I went out to the Olympic Peninsula, which is obviously the winter steelhead mecca. That was like nothing else in the lower 48. Then come springtime, visit uh, our partnered lodges here in our home state of Montana, uh, the Missouri, uh, the Madison, cross the border, fish the Bow River in Calgary. Oh, I guess I should mention too, I had the privilege of doing uh, the Smith River float trip. Definitely a trip of a lifetime. July, I went over to the Wind River in Wyoming caught you know some of the biggest trout that you'll find anywhere in the lower 48 so it was a fun 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 year (laughs) you don't have to leave the country to go on an adventure fly fish the world and the u.s with yellow dog fly fishing adventures we're also sponsored by scott fly rods i called up streamer junkie mike schultz the owner of schultz outfitters in ypsilanti michigan to see why he trusts scott fly rods when I think of a hand-built American-made fishing tool, I think of Scott fly rods. I'm a blue-collar kid, man. I was raised, you know, in, in Metro Detroit, and, um, you know, driving a Ford or a Chevy or a Chrysler vehicle was the way of life, you know. All the money kind of trickled down from the automotive industry, so to buy a rod that was made overseas or any product was kind of taboo. You really didn't even see any Toyotas around here 20 years ago. But, you know, I think one of the things that really set Scott apart is they've been made in the USA from start to finish since 1974. You know, it's 44 years of rod building experience. There's something to be said about that. Make America great again with Scott Fly Rods. Swing on by Schultzies, 
your local fly shop, or scottflyrod.com for more information. Alrighty, back to the show. Right now we're at Two Bridges Launch on the Colorado River. We are on a uh, two-man cataract, and we're going to float the little probably 10-mile section of the Colorado and hope to catch some trout. And uh, everybody else around here has these fancy drift boats and these NRS inflatable boats with nice fishing platforms. And uh, how would you describe our boat in comparison to theirs? I would call it the Walmart Special. <laughs> Before we shoved off, I stopped to chat with one of the better equipped folks at the launch. Hey, man. What's going on? Can I just ask why you're here today and what you're hoping to do and why you come to the Colorado River? Yeah, my name is James, James Terrace. And uh, just came up and we can have a good time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just a nice day outside, good fall day, and trying to catch some fish. And you have any good fishing stories from the Colorado? Anything really memorable? Uh, him and I one time were fishing out of a little inflatable, like six foot long boat, and we dumped the entire thing sideways and caught a fish and was floating down river with the fish on the line. So that was pretty memorable. You see that? Little riser over there. And with that sign of life, we started the float. I sat in the rowing seat while Ben chucked streamers at whichever bank was closer. But about an hour into the float, the wind picked up. So much so that at one point, we were floating upstream, even though the current and the oars were pushing us downstream. It was pretty cold this morning, but uh, it's starting to warm up a little bit, and there's a hatch of some sort going on, maybe uh, some emergers. We've got a couple dozen, probably more than that, little tiny browns just hitting the surface. We anchored the boat again so we could target a pod of actively rising browns. We managed a couple, but definitely caught more trees than fish. And at the takeout, we met some more floaters. Why do you fish the Colorado? You know, just to get out here, get away from the town and get a lot of fish and just uh, get out and enjoy the scenery and just enjoy the day on the river. And how was your day today? It was good. Always good on the river. And what were what were you throwing around? Uh, some streamers, uh, some nymphs, some, some dries. A little mixture of everything. I now get why people speak so highly of the Colorado. This year, the river is in great shape because we had enough snow over the winter. But that isn't necessarily going to be the case in the years to come. What are you guys most uh, hopeful about as well as most afraid of within the Colorado Basin in the next 20 years? Well, I would say the thing that I'm most hopeful about is just the growing connection of people to rivers. This is Faye Augustine again from American Rivers. Um, there are so many great rivers that we can enjoy. You have um, your greatest connection with kind of nature and with family and friends when you're on a river. And not only does that establish such an important kind of emotional connection with people that you're with, but it also establishes a really important emotional connection with a place, a place like the Colorado River or like the Fraser or the Eagle or the Roaring Fork, whichever kind of river is, is your favorite. And then you want to do more to protect it, to ensure that it's there for you in the future, for your family, for your friends to enjoy. And so I'm really hopeful about that. But is it enough to just enjoy our rivers and shut off our taps? After hearing about all the progress that's been made on the Colorado, I asked Matt Rice about the long-term future of the river. You know, from my perspective, the undisputed most terrifying thing about the next 20 years is, is climate change. 
This is a region that is getting hit hardest, especially by temperature. This region is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. You know, we're looking at, at the potential, or I'd even say the likelihood by the mid part of this century of, of significantly less water available in the system, in a system where we always already use more than we have. And if we don't address that, that will fundamentally change the landscape. It will fundamentally change the rivers we'd like to fish, boat, water availability for cities. Um, that is the scariest thing I can imagine. <laughs> now, Matt made some pretty apocalyptic claims there. But are his fears founded? To fact check him, I figured I'd better call up a scientist. Oh, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> This is Greg. Well, my full name is Gregory T. Peterson, but uh, my name's Greg. I go by Greg. Title is a research ecologist. My role within the USGS. The United States Geological Survey, which is a division of the Department of the Interior. Is basically to provide science support for the rest of Interior or sort of Western U.S. resource-related issues. I came across Greg's papers while doing research for this story, and he agreed to give me some scientific predictions into what the future holds for the Colorado River Basin. Now, for the sake of time and simplicity, I'm going to skip the hard science, but Greg and his colleagues have determined that the normal cycle of snowpack rising and falling in the Rockies has changed. Which raises the question, well, what what's driving that? Great question, Greg. We started trying to pick apart those relationships. And what it really bore out is that since the 1980s is that the role of temperature is driving west-wide snow declines. So what that implies is basically with the expectation of future warming, there's no real reason to expect we'll, we'll see the west returning to sustained high snowpacks, at least by region, uh, due to the growing influence of temperature and driving lower and lower snowpacks with earlier meltout. So Matt Rice's claim that temperatures are rising holds up to scrutiny. But what about water availability? Greg went on to explain that in the Rockies, we're receiving a similar amount of precipitation as we always have, but warmer temperatures are taking that water out of the system prematurely. You know, first and foremost, what snow represents is it's free storage. So as we warm things up, what we're doing is we're melting that snow out of the mountains earlier. So you initiate your springtime runoff earlier, your peak flows earlier in the year, and you lose that free storage component from the snowpack during the summer dry season when we need it most for hydroelectric and ag irrigation and fisheries. But thankfully, there are ways to store this excess early season water so we can use it throughout the summer. Namely by looking at changing timing of their agricultural releases, changing wintertime storage by increasing height of dams. Uh, some of the more novel recent stuff, there are things like encouraging or uh, beaver dam construction for retention of water in riparian areas. But these methods do have their limitations. Uh, the other thing that gets counterintuitive is for certain basins, as things warm, they actually have an increase in flood risk because of things like warm snowpacks getting rain events on them. And you can get uh, rain on snow flooding, which can very rapidly inundate massive basins. All right, all this sounds manageable. But Greg told me about a form of water loss that's much harder to combat. And the goal of our recent projects was looking into runoff efficiency and the role of temperature in dictating runoff efficiency. 
So what runoff efficiency is, is, is more or less the ratio between how much precipitation falls on a basin versus how much you actually gauge running out of that basin. And Greg started looking into this problem in the Colorado Rockies because the folks at Denver Water weren't seeing the expected streamflow based on snowpack predictions. One of the predominant things that plays a major role in year-to-year and decade-to-decade variation in runoff efficiency is temperature. Temperature impacts two major things from year to year. It's it's evapotranspiration, that's evaporation from reservoirs, transpiration of moisture from plants and trees. And also, if you put a little wind plus higher temperatures on snow, you sublimate. That is, you turn snow from a solid to a gas directly, so it has little to no hydrologic impact. For the upper Colorado, the 20th century was one of the wettest centuries in the last five, so they've We've received a lot of precipitation, but counterintuitively, the amount of stream flow that's left the basin has been reduced. So we've had typically lower runoff efficiencies because of the role of temperature. And of course, it gets exasperated when we're actually in a drought event. Things get much worse. And no matter how many dams we have or beavers we introduce, we aren't going to be able to use that water. In fact, more dams might even cause increased water loss. All these circumstances are exacerbated by the increased demand of water from the Colorado River Basin. And this same change is occurring all throughout the Western Mountains, affecting rivers from New Mexico to Montana and everywhere in between. Not only do we need to use less water, we need to understand why we have less water so we can change water use policies. Because this problem isn't a blip in the geological timeline. To end our conversation, I asked Greg what's been most surprising to him during his time with the USGS. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always shocking over, over the last few decades watching how the public thinks about, understands, and either accepts or, or doesn't accept what the climate sciences are saying and why. Um, it's, that's been a really interesting thing to track. But I'd say on a more positive note, one of my personal things is earlier in my career, I'd say I didn't appreciate the magnitude to which we manage our hydrologic systems as much as I do now in our water resources. And I'd say earlier on, I thought we were likely to be in much worse condition (laughs) in the future than... Um, we're likely to be, not to say that we won't have our challenges, but um, with the way we manage our water systems. Um, but I at least have gained more optimism about our ability to tackle complex water resource issues with the infrastructure that's in place, with the infrastructure modifications that could be made, and with operational changes that you know water resource managers are thinking about. So that that's certainly grown in my optimism (laughs) (laughs) stick around for this week's field notes tons of thank yous the lean but mighty crew at Fish Pond, you folks threw one grand event, and I appreciate the work that you do. And your fishing packs. 
If you go to our website, drakemag.com, you'll see some photos from the event taken by Russell Miller. Brian Rice, Faye Augustin, and the whole team at American Rivers keep putting that list out. If you want to learn more about rivers in general or about the Colorado River, you can check out our website, which is AmericanRivers.org. We have tons of information there. And then um, the last piece is if you have a river story that you want to share, we have a campaign called 5,000 Miles of Wild, where we are trying to gather 5,000 river stories, people's individual connection to whatever river it might be, uh, you know, something from the Colorado all the way to you know the tiny stream in your parents' backyard. Feel free to share your story. Um, you can do that, again, at 5,000miles.org um, and include a picture or a video, whatever it might be, but we'd love to hear um, why rivers are so important to you. There's also a link on our website. Gregory T. Peterson, or Greg, awesome conversation. Thanks for the work you do with the USGS and for taking the time to share all that great information. Truth is not yet dead. Cheers to John Packer at Fly Fishing Outfitters for giving me that clip about the highs and lows that you've seen on the Colorado River. John also gave me some info on the Upper Colorado's current fishing conditions. Oh, the, the Colorado's fished as good this year as it has in, in years we can remember. You know, especially dry fly fishing is just, it's just been bizarre how great the dry fly fishing has been up there all summer. Even if it's sunny or cloudy, it doesn't matter. You know, you just need water temperature for the BWOs. And yeah, and then that means, you know, usually that, that indicates good streamer fishing. And the streamer fishing up there has been fantastic. And the Colorado for the dry flies um, have been basically, you know, size 18 to 20 uh, blue wings. There's still some large, uh, what we call the gold medal PMDs that come off. At certain times of the day, you got to be in the right spot for them, but it's a size 12 uh, PMD that comes off on certain sections of the Colorado at this time of the year. So have light Cahills and big parachute Adams and Royal Wolves ready for that. Other than that, smaller stuff. And then obviously streamer fishing up there right now is is uh, really good. So, and we like to fish a lot of big streamers. I can corroborate John's findings. The streamer bite on the Colorado right now is fantastic. Maybe I'll see you up there on Sunday. Gotta get after it before winter fully sets in. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast.